afternoon, and welcome to the Kuaris and Rice podcast, the second best China Africa podcast you've ever heard. Broadcasting from the heart of global China Africa research, Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, joined by my co-host... And Tim Kalu. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors, Africa Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Duru, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The Africa Daily is an online communications platform that provides the most up-to-date journalistic and academic information on China-Africa relations. The forum incorporated in the website also facilitates the cultural and informational exchange among the diaspora communities in major Chinese and African cities. Now, today we have a super-duper special guest. We have a real-deal China-Africa practitioner, not an academic, somebody who's on the ground and who's paid to talk about China-Africa stuff. So this dude's name is Hongxiang Huang, and he is, he's been on a, on, a, on a bit of a tear as of late. He's written some really cool stuff um, uh, about, about Ivory. Um, he, got a, he, he was a former freelance journalist, and, and he did um, some really cool interviews with um, China Open Mic, I believe, with Andy Shui Liu. And so he, like, he knows Chinese companies abroad, and he's just been doing a lot of really cool stuff. He's been guesting on, on the other China Africa podcast uh, for the China Africa project, and I've always wanted to have him come and talk about what he's doing, and he's here on this podcast, so we're really, really lucky. He's a former freelance journalist right now. Um, he he, he um, got a fellowship with the, with the WITS um, China Africa Reporting Project. Am I saying that right? Yes. And so he is just kicking a lot of butt in terms of China-Africa reporting, and he's doing really cool on-the-ground reporting, and so he's going to regale us with some stories, but also talk about um, how Chinese people, because Hongxiang Huang is actually Chinese, how Chinese people deal with China going out and China, the rise of China and China being a, a major international player. Um, so first, Hongxiang, what time is it over there? I think it's just a little bit past midnight. A little bit past midnight. So you are so dedicated in um, spreading knowledge about China-Africa relations that you are staying up past midnight for us. Well, tomorrow is Saturday. <laughs> you don't have to tell people that. You don't have to be that honest. Okay. So give us, give us your story about how you wound up in Uganda. I never went to Uganda. I meant Kenya. Ah, continue. Winslow, Winslow. doing great. <laughs> this is some really good preparation I did, obviously. All right, how did you wind up in Kenya? Okay, so I used to only do journalism, and someday, like when I was doing some interview with a Chinese company in Peru, the manager told me, as an outside observer, you are doing good. But why not someday just come in and have a try to see whether you can do it better? So I think it is a good idea. Why not? And then after the graduation of Columbia University, I went to Kenya and started working with a Chinese company. So that's how I went to Kenya. It, and then what attracted you to the um, WITS Fellowship? 
actually I applied for the VITS fellowship before I even decided to go to Kenya. So I think this is really interesting because I haven't been to Africa before. All my work was done in South America. So I would love to be in Africa exploring a little bit. All right, um, NKM, uh, Dr. Kalu, sorry, do you, do you want to ask any any follow-up questions about that sort of stuff? Um, no, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so, all right, let me, so, Hongxiang, let me ask you, you know, as, as a, as a, as a Chinese person, as a, um, with a lot of international experience, how, how is the adjustment to Africa been for you? Is it a big adjustment? Is it a little adjustment? Was it similar to Latin America, similar to the U.S., similar to China? Um, what's it like being on the ground for you? Well, like, because in the past two years, I was in New York, and there are a lot of different people there, a lot of different cultures. So after that, I would feel actually it's, I'm quite adaptable to everywhere. But I would say Africa is quite different than Latin America especially in terms of like the safety issue and also like the level of like corruption, like the social mass, I would say here is much worse than Latin America. So it's still not very easy for me to adapt because I'm used to go to a city and I can just walk everywhere. But now like in South Africa, in Mozambique, I can't do that. So not very easy. <laughs> Have you been tempted to like buy a gun? I have heard of a lot of this issue, like, and in Kenya, in Nairobi, like, the place I stay, like, five minutes away, some Chinese people were killed just, I think, one year or two years before. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. Oh. There was a supermarket, like, just ten minutes from the place we stay. So, there was some time, some Chinese people saying, oh, ten minutes, you can just walk there. Well, and then they, they die. So. Were they killed during the day or at night? At night. Yeah, I think it's 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 not safe to walk very many places at night. Even here in D.C., um, we have to be careful. Um, Winslow doesn't live in D.C. He lives in, um, <laughs> don't, in Virginia. Don't tell people that. Ah. Well, on the Virginia side of D.C., he's in the box, so it counts as D.C. <laughs> Thank you. But he's on the safe part. I, on the other hand, I, I can't walk in the street. I tried it one time, and it scared me. Enough people stopped and asked me crazy questions that I thought I might not make it home alive. So um, it's quite interesting, the issue of safety, mm. because in many ways when you read um, articles and when you hear from people, it seems like it's such a, a, a southern world problem, and you know, an Africa problem, but it really is a global problem um, and, and, and just terrible in several places. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So... Uh, Hongxiang, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to steer the conversation a little bit towards. You wrote a lot of really good stuff recently about um, ivory, Thank you. And, and 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 you wrote it for 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 uh, a newspaper, the the Mail and Guardian, correct? Yes. And you also wrote a, a little blog post up on on the China Africa project, and 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 one of the things I really liked about what you did was, um, you asked. You talk to people about this stuff who I never hear their voices heard. Uh, and, and some of the quotes that you got, some of the, the anecdotes that you got, I thought were fantastic. And so, like, why did you approach it 
in that way, why did you you do that sort of like on the ground uh, reporting? Well, since two years ago, I started to do this reporting and research about Chinese investment overseas. And one of the biggest problems I realized is the communication gap. Like, the outside people, they totally don't understand what the Chinese people, they are thinking. They have no idea, like, really what they think and why they do this, why they do that, and who are they really. And also the Chinese people, they lack understanding of what the outside world is going to be about. So. I just think it would be great if I can actually help, try to help the Chinese understand the world and to help the world understand Chinese. And then since it's quite easy for me to get those insights and understanding like from the Chinese, so why don't I just share them with people outside? On the Chinese side, I do the same. I share with them about like what I think, like what the Western people is about, like what are they thinking, what is their way of thinking. So. I just think this is interesting and quite helpful. Yeah, so that's what I do. I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about how Chinese people are are dealing with with some of these issues. So, let's say for example, if if you write something and and, and you're 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 putting out quotes that like I I mean I you know I've been studying this for a while that I really haven't I haven't seen people say before. What has been the Chinese reaction to that? Or not, and different kinds of Chinese. So I, there's a lot of different Chinese people in, in, in Africa. So what have some of the different Chinese reactions been to some of your, your reporting? Well, I would say, I would say generally you have like basically two types, just the Chinese official reaction and the non-Chinese official reaction. So for the normal people, for example, like so the young Chinese, a lot of my friends, some students, they would find this quite interesting because they actually would like to see, try to see this issue on, a, on a, a new, some new angle with some new information. But when the Chinese government official side is going to be a little defensive, because I would say like on those people's mind, they are something something very strong there. For example, there's something called anti-China groups outside. They're always trying to attack China. So if you talk about anything negative about China, they think, well, maybe you are you're funded by those anti-China groups, so <laughs> you want to attack China. Have you ever... Have you ever been accused of that? Like, have you ever been accused of being funded by an anti-China group? Well... The first article, and I still remember, the first article I published on Southern Weekly about the Chinese mining conflict in Ecuador, the editor, they told me, like, there are some 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 managers of, like, the, the, the news group, they asked the editor who this guy is. Is he getting any money from the anti-China group, those kind of things? So, yeah, I think they must be very suspicious of this. I, I, I mean... Uh, I, I shouldn't laugh so much because I like I just went to an event this week about um, Chinese censorship um, and 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 how it affects overseas Chinese publications or overseas Chinese media, but that sounds so ham-fisted. And when that I mean when that happens to you, how how do you feel? I just feel as I think it's very interesting actually because for for you like as a young Chinese especially if you are educated outside you don't really feel that there are a lot of anti-China group well there may be some people who 
seem like in China you have a lot of problems, but that's normal. That's not anti-China group. So I just feel that that kind of thinking is quite interesting. And then more and more I realize there are actually a lot of people that think in this way, especially like the Chinese managers in the a lot of them they are from that period of time, like they are already like over 40, 50, so they really have that kind of strong mindset. And I think this is quite interesting and it's quite important actually for us to try to understand so why there is such communication gap. It is really fascinating because I wonder if that would um, in, in many ways limit their effectiveness at their jobs because they're not able to to weigh the other side or to weigh a, a contrasting view in, in, in a way that might be constructive. Am, am I making sense? Like, it seems like there's, there's almost this tendency to write off a negative or something that appears negatively inclined as coming from the other side as opposed to trying to see if there might be some lessons there um, for the Chinese embassy or for the Chinese people in terms of, um, you know, business practices or even how the rest of the world operates. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I understand your point. So even there are negative problems, like you, your point, like your intention could be constructive. Your your point could actually be to solve those problems. I I think like I totally agree with what you said. I think this is also related to another Chinese very traditional official mindset is like reporting. You have positive reporting and negative reporting. That's how they divide reporting. And if you have anything like the problems, that's negative reporting. And they don't like negative reporting. They think enemies, they do negative reporting on you. So if you are my friend, you don't do negative reporting on me. You don't, you do positive. Could, that's something how they divide. Could, could you give like a specific example of that situation? Like... Well, for example, like, let's take Ivory as an example. If you do a story about the Chinese embassy, like donate a lot of money to like to fund those environmental projects. That's a positive reporting. And if you do a story that you have something like the Chinese buying ivory, that's a negative. That's a negative reporting. So usually, who would do this like Chinese buying ivory story? It must be from those Western, especially those quite anti-China people. They would not do these kind of things. But now this this is getting actually. It create a communication gap with journalism as well because so if you have a story you say yeah there are Chinese people they're buying ivory but at the same time your point is actually that this problem could be solved and we need to think about how to how to deal with it instead of just criticize the Chinese government mm. do you define this as a negative reporting or positive reporting so I think those people they are trying to reflect as well based on my conversation with some of the those people. That that's a that's a really interesting point. I I I also want to say that 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 the U.S. government and full disclosure, I love the U.S. government. Um, <laughs> so, but but the U.S. government can also sometimes be quite prickly when it comes to criticism and 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 can yeah, can sometimes. Natural, I, um, I, I think every every it, government. Yeah, is. I I I, th I think it's a. Well, it's, as, as Country people, but at least their country, whatever that <laughs> ambiguous, <laughs> ambiguous concept of a country. It, and also, I want to I want to say that I do think that 
the U.S. government or, or that the organs of, of the U.S. government in terms of public diplomacy or public relations, I think they're, they're pretty decent. I mean, um, U.S. embassies have really good Twitter feeds, um, Facebook pages, um, I, uh, the press conferences they hold. I, I find them to be quite, quite effective. And, and for, for being boring government messages, and as much as I love all government messages, they're generally really boring, I, can, I mean, I can read them. And so how, how does the Chinese government engage in terms of this sort of public dipl- diplomacy or, or um, effective social media or, or, or good press conferences or, or, or um, good, um, good, being good at controlling the message? Well, I would say in the beginning, Chinese government, they are very bad at this. Now they are improving their learning. Actually, like, for example, when I was, even when I was in my college, because my journalism school was the best in China, so we actually have some training program for those officials in China to actually come here and learn how to face media. Actually, I used to participate in those kind of training. And in terms of, like, the African context, either Chinese in Africa or what Chinese people think about Africans, um, how, how does how does that play out? Because one of the things that you know, the um, Chinese government is really good at at signing deals and signing MOUs and and putting out loans and and you know taking the nice photo and 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 having a, a really positive story in the China Daily. How, how how do these things sort of play out for Chinese people living in Africa or um, Chinese people living in China who think about Africa? I think like the. Chinese mess, the, the message from the Chinese government to the Chinese public is actually quite effective. And I think the Chinese people, they want to, they love to see that kind of message because everyone want to, see, want to hear the message that they are doing good. So the Chinese government have been showing to the Chinese people, well, with Chinese company, with Chinese government, we, we do a lot of good things to Africa. We donate a lot of money. We have a lot of aid. African people and we, we are good friends. So I do think... A, a lot of Chinese people, they buying this argument, actually. Could you talk about the experience that, that you had where, like, the Chinese government actually reached out to you about something that you wrote and what, what happened with that? Ah, you mean the letter? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, was, I was trying to be subtle, but yes, that letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, basically, when I published the story about, like, the rhino horn, in Joburg, the Could you, for our audience, talk a little more about that story? What about it maybe tipped off the, the Chinese um, embassy? Sure. So basically, I wrote a story about Rhino Hong Chai in Joburg. And inside the story, I portray like how the Chinese are inside this network. Actually, like Chinese people, in terms of like the Rhino Hong Chai, is not very influential, but still there are some inside. So what the Chinese government, what the Chinese embassy, what they find not happy is, the first thing is just a small wording problem. Like there is a place that readers could misunderstand that like the Chinese embassy is actually involved. <laughs> and the other thing is general, like the, the embassy doesn't want this kind of story that you have Chinese people like buying rhino home like in the local media because they think this is going to damage China's image and that's what upset them most that's a pretty low bar I mean (laughs) 
a low bar or a high yeah, bar? I mean, I understand your point. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> okay, so, so they sent you a letter, and they actually not sent me a letter. So basically, they tried to communicate with Mail and Guardian directly. But later, I tried to talk to those people as well. They essentially they published a letter on Mail and Guardian, just say like we think the Randall Holmes story may be misleading, because. We Chinese people love animals. We Chinese government put a lot of effort like on environmental protection, blah, 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 those kind of things. Yeah, so that's what they did. <laughs> that's that's should... quite interesting because yeah. um, it, it's almost an extreme reaction. But again, you, you know, they would be remiss to not say, you know, we don't condone this behavior and we don't support because if the, if the government doesn't come out to say that, then unfortunately, in, um, when society and, and the media is judge and jury, they're immediately liable for what's done. I agree. I actually agree with what you said, and I totally understand them. So I have some communication with the people in the embassy as well, and I, try, I quite understand like what they are concerned about, and they really want to just defend China's image. But what I found a little bit interesting is, so they worry like the article, because you have Chinese inside buying rhino hall, so this story is going to damage China's image. But if you actually look at the comments under the stories, the people are actually not thinking, not saying, oh, China is the bad guy, you you create this rhino hall problem, ivory problem. They actually complain a lot about the local management, because the police, like mm. the government, yeah, they have some problem. But when you look at the comments under the Chinese letter, like, you see comments like, I don't think any intelligent life in this on this planet we're actually believing this letter or like oh, what a joke or like this kind of things so i think what the letter achieved is actually quite opposite to of what, what they intended yeah yeah i mean when you when you communicated with with some of the embassy staff did you communicate that that it was a kind of counterproductive yes actually like after they published the letter because well, so for me, the, my relationship with them is still fine because they actually find no problem with my story. They just think, well, if you have someone mentioning Chinese buying this, this might damage Chinese image anyway. So, but later I was communicating with them and I asked them, so why, why you write this letter? Like, because if I write this letter, I write in a better way. I would still say, like, we Chinese come, we Chinese, we do this, we do that. But I would not write a letter like that. And I think, like, the... What I understand from like why they do it is first I think this is there are some very some just some Chinese official kind of like <laughs> habit like you cannot really admit you have done anything wrong so you actually cannot admit like those kind of things like the the, the bad thing you want to basically just don't talk about them at all because you don't know if you talk about them maybe later like. The person who say that we have some trouble, so you can't actually say that. And on the other hand, they don't really have a lot of good things to say, like what they actually doing here to try to like combat those rhino hong chui, ivory chui. That's why you end up with a letter like that. Wow, I I, I think you you really you really put in a good point. And and, and one thing I, I do wanna to say for our listeners. Mobilizing and equipping people to engage in social good and you know to improve social welfare, and um, 
there seemed to be this battle cry for increased um, engagement from the government side and um, better government um, utility of, of tools such as, you know, um, Twitter or Facebook to engage their people and to engage the rest of the world. Um, could you reflect on that? The Chinese government, they are trying to use like the Weibo, which is like the Chinese Twitter, like in China. But even with yeah. that, like the progress is not very, very great. It's, it's good that it's improving, but it's not very great. But I can't foresee like Chinese government or some government official actually use Twitter and Facebook what, what? To, to reach out. Well, what about what about like Renren and like you know um, QQ uh, BBSs? Well, QQ, all of the all the Chinese people I I met here basically they they all use QQ, but QQ is not really something that you use to engage with the world because. Hey, could could you could you explain a little bit about what QQ is and and why you can't use it to engage with the world? Because QQ is not like social media. QQ is more like just MSN. It's just like chatting. And most of the QQ users, I, I think like they are Chinese. And the, the Chinese people usually just use them to communicate within themselves. So I don't really think QQ is. And Zhenzhen as well. Zhenzhen, I don't think foreigners use Zhenzhen. Even when I was living in China, I don't think I ever opened up a, a Renren account. Yeah. I, so here's sort of a side question. Because um, WeChat came up in conversation, and um, yes. so UNDP and um, and the United Nations Foundation and the World Bank were all in this conference earlier. At least their their social media managers were, and they were talking about trying to find innovative ways to harness tools like WeChat to engage with yeah. people. And you know, in in some sense, for me, it seems a little invasive. Because WeChat, I mean, WeChat is like Skype. And it seems to me also that um, WeChat might have a, bit, a bigger base in Asia and in China than in the rest of the world. Because it was the first time I heard about WeChat. Um, yeah. And I wonder if, you know, what, do you think that that would be something that people can, can, can use, utilize, I guess, to, I mean, what are your thoughts? It's not a very good question, but... It's a fine question. Yeah, but I think WeChat is actually really something different because WeChat has some function of, like, for example, search people nearby you. Mm. So when I actually, because I use WeChat, and when I'm actually here, I actually, if I open WeChat, I can find people even in Nelspit that are using WeChat. And if you want, actually, you can chat with them. So I do think WeChat is something that could make some change. Uh, I I I think that the value of WeChat is that it's the first Chinese thing platform, the first Chinese platform that foreigners can use. Yeah, they they can go global. I I use WeChat. Um, uh, a decent amount of my friends use WeChat now. I mean, I use WeChat to speak with my Chinese friends and family in China. But I do have a, a few, a handful of foreign friends who use the WeChat wall to, you know, to post, like, Facebook wall kind of stuff, like, you know, pictures of your food. But, like, WeChat is cool and useful, and I, and it, and it's, and it's Chinese, and it's, um, so that, 
that that could that could I was mean. Really excited about the because um, I, I looked I looked up the app and the voice notes version looks uh, at least the voice notes um, supporting apps look like a lot of fun at least to me because <laughs> um, there's a there's a there's a provision on it you can send a voice note to someone in a kitty voice like who doesn't want to send a voice note to someone in a kitty voice. <laughs> Yeah, I think WeChat is actually really good. Like the function is actually it's very useful, and it could actually also be fun. Mm. I do think it's something that is great. Like, yeah. I think that we're we're about done because you got to go to sleep soon. Um, we're gonna yeah, go to recommend. It's like one in the morning <laughs> over there. <laughs> we're gonna go to recommendations if that's okay. So I I actually have two recommendations this week. Um, and they're both by the same author, and they're just both really neat stories. This guy, um, Sam Peranti, Peranti, I think he's like a South African um, video maker, and he and he just did uh, these two cool posts on um, Think on Think Africa Press, and and one of them is is about um, Africans in Guangzhou, and one of the cool things he did is he kind of deconstructed how we talk about Africans in Guangzhou, which is basically the way we think about it is we. We, um, the English-speaking audience, generally think of Africans living in Guangzhou as they live only in Chocolate City, and you know, and that's sort of and that's sort of what they do, and they have to deal with you know um, harassment, and discrimination, and yeah, they do have to deal with harassment, and discrimination, but they don't just live in Chocolate City. There's a lot of dynamic, different Africans um, communities in Guangzhou, and I think, um, uh, and I. Don't have the the exact name of the article in front of me right now, which is embarrassing. But in any case, it's a really awesome article that um, that if if you um, yeah, it's economic nomads in a city of flows, and it's just it's just really cool talking about the dynamism of different African communities in and and black women's hair and weaves. But this is a really 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 cool piece um talking talking about hair and africans in china it just i don't know just a neat weird out there piece that i that i really liked um and so those are those are uh my two uh recommendations and and yeah that's sort of it oh and also i should mention you know hongshang your piece on the rhino horns came up on recommendations and we had you as a guest. So generally, like recommendations, I try to target these people to be guests on the podcast. Is it my turn yet? <laughs> it's anybody's turn. Well, there were really three recommendations, which is maybe overambitious for me. But, you know, ever so often I work hard. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> the first one, it's not really a recommendation, but it's a call for information. Um, I came across a tweet earlier today, actually so did um, Winslow, and I'm surprised he didn't bring this up, um, about the Malian legislative election, and apparently there's rumors that there's a Chinese candidate um, in the elections. If anyone has any information, I'd love to read up more um, on that and to see if there's any truth to that at all. I want to give a brief um, shout-out. I want to give a brief shout-out to Medina. Um, yeah. and, and, and that was her, her tweet, but thank you for, for bringing that up. I didn't know whether we could do that in recommendations, but we make the rules here, so you're right. Continue. <laughs> and then the next, the, the next recommendation, this actually is um, an op-ed that featured in the Financial Times 
about China's economy. There's been a lot of talk about um, the future of China's economy and whether its growth trajectories will be held or whether everything will come to a screeching halt. But um, Yukon Huang explains that um, essentially those who are expecting the collapse of China's growth rate are um, incorrect. He does believe that there are some needs for um, economic reforms, but he thinks that there will continue to be some growth. And he has an article that um, that also supports his op-ed that was recently published on um, the need for Chinese banks to compete in order to survive in this global economy. That actually has three recommendations, or two recommendations and a call for information. And I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Uh, all right, Hong Chang, what, what would you like to talk about? Well, if in terms of recommendation, like I don't, I, I have no like those like news or something in mind. But actually, I think what I really have a recommendation is that maybe like the people interested in this like China Africa topic should try to read more about the voices from the, for example, from the Chinese embassy, from the Chinese government, and try to understand like their way of thinking. Because even like a letter of, for example, the letter sent by the Chinese embassy in, in Victoria, a lot of people, you may, they may just look at this and think it's just a joke and this is totally ridiculous. But if you try really trying to read it carefully and try to understand, somehow you can, you can be more and more familiar with those people's mindset. And I think in order like in order that we can really make some good change to the world, it's important that not only they, they understand us, but also we understand them, and then so that we can work together. For example, like in terms of like the way of the Chinese embassy, they're thinking there's something really like called constructive, because usually this is something that like the, the international journalists, they usually may f don't, don't find comfortable. Mm. Because if you talk about journalism, there's not, no, not anything called constructive. You just report the truth. And if you, you, you try to, you, you ask the Chinese embassy for interview, and if they refuse, you just put Chinese embassy refuse to comment. That's the way you do it. But this kind of behavior mm. is, is fine outside, but if you want to work with the Chinese embassy, the Chinese government, maybe you need to understand their point. Instead of thinking you expose like their problems and they are going to change, maybe you should also think about, can you work with them and mm. then help them to change? I, I was thinking about this question like this week because I was reflecting about like their letter. So I think maybe this could be my recommendation. I, th I think that's, that's, that's a really, really good point. And to do the hard work of talking to somebody and really trying to look at something from their point of view, even when you don't understand their point of view or when you don't agree even with their point of view. Even you don't understand mindset, like the way of singing. And it's, it's, that's a really great recommendation and something that's really necessary for anybody who really wants to do good, uh, good China-Africa scholarship or, or reporting. It's important yeah. to look but, at things from the other side. And, and, and I really, yeah, I really appreciate that you, like, you took the letter and then went that extra step and, like, communicated them and talked to, talked to the authors, hey, you know, this is what I, I read in it, and, and I thought that was a really, really cool, really big of you, Hong Shang, I thought that was really neat. Yeah. I was, I was I'm actually trying to do more. I'm trying to convince the people in the embassy to write some blogs so that I can share within like the China going on group. I want to, I want to like ask him to also write something as. Well. That, I think it would be awesome because 
because I think it would be great to have the government interacting, yeah, with of course, yes, and saying those like the the real thoughts instead of those official call. Just try to let us understand what they think, and it's like we are here not here to judge. We are just here to try to understand each other. Hong Shang, that is one of the most boldest. China Africa plans I've ever heard. Like, forget you know the nine billion Sikomin deal. Like this is like world changing stuff. That would be really cool if if you can actually get some people to to post on a blog. I think that'd be really really just fantastic and and give people a platform to talk about some of these things that they're thinking about. Yeah, even like without the names, without the real details, just let us mm. know what he think. Mm. Because actually, a lot of things like I try to explain to people is what I heard from them. So I think if someday they can participate in this dialogue, it's going to be much better. I I I couldn't agree with you more. All right, we're we're, we're about to sign off, but before we do, yeah. Hongsheng, how do people find you? Do you have a website or a Twitter account or a LinkedIn that you would like to share? Or perhaps a PayPal account so people can wire you money. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always find me on my Facebook, and then also you can just go to China Going, just find my contact information there, and also like the works we are doing. And, and and can you talk a little about about why you made China Going Out and your team there? Uh, the reason is I realized that a lot of like groups, like for example China African Project, a lot of these international you know, groups focusing on this problem because I think it's a huge issue. This China Africa, China South America thing, but I realized there are not many, many Chinese groups, and I realized there will be something unique that the Chinese people can get. For example, the thing like I do, like I can actually talk. But if I, for example, if I work in a group that is found by foreigner, they will say, "Oh, maybe you are anti-China group because that's foreigner." So there will be something unique that Chinese group can achieve because the people outside is not going to think, "Oh, you're Chinese, so you must be part of the government." But the Chinese side, they will say, "Oh, if you are foreign, then maybe you are the other West." So there will be something unique value there. That's why I think this is a good idea. Oh well, I, I I think I I think it's a really cool site, and you guys put up some really really cool stuff, and and I and I highly highly recommend it, and um and, and yeah and, and there's you. and there's um, and, and yeah I look I look forward to to more of of that stuff. Doctor Kalu, how can people find you? I am on the Twitter sphere, and if that's not a real world I'm word, I'm making it a real word right mm-hmm. now. Um, at Nkem E Kalu. And um, once Winslow gets uh, <laughs> gets my my uh, blog post on calories and rice, you can see some of the musings of my mind. I just saved your. I just saved one of your your blog posts. I saved it. I'm gonna edit it a little bit and post it up. But yes, this this is the week. I promise that you're gonna be blogging with me. I'm I'm really proud. Oh. And as for myself, um, you can find me on Cowries and Rice. It's uh, cowriesrice.blogspot.com. And my Twitter handle is Winslow underscore R. And I've been tweeting about China-Africa stuff. And I've, this week, somebody actually came up to me and were like, hey, I know you on Twitter. And I'm like, really? And yeah, like, you're Twitter famous. So I'm so happy. It made my day. I, I, I'm really proud. Um, I, 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 
I'm pretty sure you have a Weibo account, Hongshang, um, but you should definitely, definitely get a, a Twitter account as well. Um, and you too will be Twitter famous and be approached by people at a bar. Um, <laughs> all right. Because this is what we aim for in our lives. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, that would be pretty cool yeah, for it's you. Snarky. No, it's 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 it, we we aim to be <laughs> it snarky. It was a day this week that was um uh, a day free of snarkiness, which is good because I wasn't snarky on that day. <laughs> I found those out from the news. That was reported in the news. What day was it? Uh, I think it was Tuesday. I want to say Tuesday. All right. (laughs) All right. All right. So we're going to close up. This is about it for today's episode. We'd like to thank Hongshang for joining us this really early mornings um, in his time um, and uh, evening our time Uh, we'd like to thank African Development Jobs and the Africa Daily Uh, this podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher and we're still waiting for word back from uh, iTunes um, but we're going to be on iTunes in the moment we're on iTunes I want to pop it up on the um, uh, the uh, Blackberry Network um, so all my African brothers and sisters can listen to it um and uh, we would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.